This is Coach Lou Holtz, and you're listening to Building Championship Mindsets, the podcast with Dr. Amber Latner. From the locker room to the boardroom, Dr. Amber is the best in the business at helping you and your team build the mindset that drives results. So lock in. If you can take just one thing away from today and implement it into your life, I know you'll not only be a better person, but also better athlete, coach, leader, parent, or spouse because of it. Ladies and gentlemen, welcome back to Building Championship Mindsets, the podcast. I am your host, Dr. Amber Latner, and I just want to welcome you to episode nine of season one of our podcast. And today we're going to be talking about building block eight routines. So we are just ecstatic and humbled by the number of people that have been tuning in each week uh, throughout the course of season one, which is really looking at building your mental performance foundation. So what are the foundational building blocks that go into mental performance? And as I just mentioned, we are on building block eight, which is our eighth and final building block of that sort of season one foundational program. Um, if you've been tuning in each week, you know where we've been and what we've been building. But for those of you who are just, just joining us, I'm going to briefly recap the last seven building blocks that we've talked about and then really dive into, our, again, our eighth and final building block of routine. So week one, we looked at awareness and building block one with our featured guest, Mr. Bruce Bowen, three-time NBA champion and just amazing man and father and um, NBA analyst for ESPN now looking at, again, the importance of awareness and how we must be aware before we can enhance. And then we moved into building block two, right, which was motivation and and featured guest Serge Pay joined us, former NHL hockey player and current hockey agent. Again, understanding what is our why and realizing that it is our job to motivate ourselves. Building block three was confidence, and we spoke with a former colleague and former soccer player, friend of mine at the University of Notre Dame where we played together. She played pro soccer for seven years. And again, looking at what does confidence mean and, and how really at the end of the day, confidence is a choice. And as as women, as athletes, as leaders, as people in this world, we have to choose confidence every single day. Building block four, uh, we had Dr. Pat Ivey join us to talk about intensity management, really understanding what is our zone of optimal performance and how do we get into and manage that zone to perform at the upper level of our capability on a more consistent basis. We then moved into building block five, which was attentional control, and Cam McDaniel joined us, who played football at the University of Notre Dame and is currently playing professional football as well. Again, just how does how does our mind work from an attentional standpoint, and how can we place our attention on the right things at the right time to drive performance? Building block six was emotional management, and Bo Scaife joined us. Bo is a former professional football player at the NFL, played at the University of Texas, and is currently an entrepreneur, as he likes to refer to it as a ballerpreneur, right? And taking his swag from the field into the business space and working with kids to really prepare them for life after sport in his company, Fresh Ed Life. 
Building block seven was mental rehearsal, and we spoke with former Notre Dame football player Lee Becton and how his nickname was the Artful Dodger and really what was his um, cutting edge to help him see gaps that nobody else could see and, and execute to drive his performance. And he really attributed a lot of that to mental rehearsal and going through the games prior in his in his mind because, you know, what your mind perceives, your body can achieve. And, and we really dove into how do we do great mental rehearsal and really see it to achieve it. And again, that leads us into building block eight, which is routines. And so as I mentioned early on, you know, these these blocks build on each other and we needed awareness to get to motivation and we needed motivation to really better understand how to manage confidence and so on and so forth. And so routines is really about putting it all together. And, And shortly, we're going to have featured guest Mike Lee join us. So Mike and I went to University of Notre Dame together and he boxed here at Notre Dame with Bengal bouts and went on to a professional boxing career. And so we're going to be talking with him about why are routines so important to you and how have they helped you uh, manage emotions in the ring and drive your performance to be consistent and to maintain your caliber and your standard of, of performance on a consistent basis, both in the ring and in life. So we're going to start again, as usual, with this sort of uh, understanding of why routines is important. Talk about it a little bit from a scientific standpoint. Then we'll bring Mike on to share his experiences with us and perspectives on routine. And then we'll conclude with giving some mindset training on how can you start, again, building building this mental element into your game, and that is great routines that drive performance. So first and foremost, why are routines even important? You know, the the best of the best at, at any level, whether it's in sport or in business or in life, they have routines built into how they live and function. And And why is that? Well, first of all, it helps drive consistency. It drives consistency in how we think and how we function. And I know I've referenced this book before, but there's a book called The Mundaity of Excellence. And it just talks about how, you know, excellence is not this sexy, glamorous thing that, you know, is on ESPN feature highlights every single day. The the core and the essence of excellence is consistency over time in the day in and day out daily habits that prepare us to deliver excellent results, right? ESPN highlight reels do not happen at those moments of execution. They, they become possible from the, the daily consistency of the grind, right? And the grind doesn't have to be a negative thing. The grind is a beautiful thing. And to learn to love the grind, to get into it. And so routines help get us into a groove where we can begin training and developing the motor programs and the mental programs that lead us to success on a consistent basis. The other things that routines allow us to do, particularly in the midst of performance, is they give us somewhere to direct our attention. And instead of being, you know, distracted by the crowds or by the internal dialogue, if we have set routines that we can go to, that we can place our attention on and work through, they can give us a sense of control and a sense of of calmness about what we're doing and how we're doing it. So that big games, quote unquote, aren't necessarily big games. They're just something that we do, right? These are, these are competitions. These are games. This is, this is the, the big performance, right? Of, uh, you know, in trial or in a surgery as if you're a doctor. And so again, routines help create a sense of control, um, consistency in what we're doing. And, you know, like Pedro Alvarez, professional baseball player played for the Pittsburgh Pirates for a very long time. And he's now at the Baltimore Orioles. You know, he said that even as a pro, he expected to go through two to three hitting slumps a season, right? Which 
you know, whether you think that sounds good or bad as a pro, he understands that, you know, slumps are part of the process. But the one thing that he always had and that he always went back to was his routines. And so even when he was in a slump, as discouraging as that can be, he would focus his attention onto the routines to get him through that. And sure enough, eventually, just like just like going into any slump, you know, you can come out of a slump and whose routines was that consistent element that helped him stay composed, stay focused, stay in grained and embedded in the process to work through it, to hit through it, and to eventually come out on the other side. There's also, I mean, baseball is one of those games, I think, that really lends itself to routines in a lot of different ways. Um, But there's a great video that I'll post in the episode notes of Evan Longoria and how he really leverages routines for his at-bat routine so that he never gets discouraged or distracted by an error or a, you know, um, a foul ball or a strike or any of those elements. He understands, you know, this is part of being a pro baseball player and he's got a routine that he goes to. And within that, um, Dr. Ken Revisa, who is an amazing sports psych professional out of California, um, who has worked with Evan throughout the years, he has this great phrase in the video that says, you know, it's going to, garbage is going to hit the fan. And so when garbage hits the fan, you need to have something to go to, right? It's not an if garbage hits the fan. It is. I mean, that's, that's part of life, right? We know that life isn't always sunshine and roses. It isn't always home run hits, right? It's, it's a lot of just grinding through at bats. It's a lot of just grinding through life and, and dealing with garbage when it hits the fan. But routines become a way that can help us deal with that garbage in a more consistent way, in, in a more productive way, if you will. And so again, check out the episode notes. I'll put the link to that video. Um, and it and it really discusses how Evan uses routines and his mental game and how Ken has been able to come alongside of him and really help formulate just a really solid, consistent, stable mental approach to playing baseball, but then also how that just applies to life in general. The other things that routines help us do is it minimizes, routines minimize the amount of info that we have to consciously process. Um, So if you can right now, wherever you are located, cross your arms. Okay, that probably literally took you a split second to do. You, You don't have to think twice about crossing your arms. If you haven't done it yet, do it real quick. Cross your arms. Okay, nice and quick, nice and simple, et cetera. Now I want you to cross your arms in the opposite way. Okay, so if you're right-handed right now, it's not right over, it's left over. What did we notice? It, it took a little bit longer, right? We had to think about it. Some of you may have even had to go back to your normal way of crossing your arms and really see how your hands were positioned and then consciously process how we get our hands positioned in the opposite way. That's the beauty of routines, right? Routines create this ease, this consistency, this lack of conscious processing that has to happen, which frees up space for us to think about and process other things. Imagine if every time you went to brush your teeth in the morning, you had to think about, okay, now wait, how do I brush my teeth? And if you want to challenge yourself, now try to do it in in your opposite, your non-dominant hand, right? And see how awkward that feels, right? Because that's that's a routine element to, to what we do and how we do it. And by embedding routines into how we live, it can drive consistency. It can free up conscious processing space for us to take in different information, to solve different problems to solve different problems, um, to be more emotionally aware of those around us, right? And to be more socially and emotionally intelligent in the situations that we're in so that we know how to adapt, how to adjust, how to position ourselves to be successful in these various moments throughout the course of a day. 
So again, routines are important because they help drive consistency in in how we live and function. It gives us somewhere to direct our attention so that we can manage distraction better. And finally, it helps to manage the amount of conscious processing that takes place so that, again, it frees up elements to be processed toward other things to, to step our game up and take us to the next level. The next element I really want to think about as we talk about routines, one of my favorite all-time quotes is from Aristotle, and he says that we are what we repeatedly do. Excellence, therefore, is not an act. It's a habit. It's a habit, right? This excellence is a habit. And when I was doing mental conditioning and coaching down at IMG Academy in Bradenton, Florida, I had a room full of 100 tennis players. And I asked them, you know, what is a habit? And so I have this young man from Portugal raise his hand and his thick accent. He says, a habit is something that you do so often that it becomes a part of the very essence of your being. And I was like, but still my heart, Romeo, right? Like, I mean, this kid's 15 years old and that's how he defines a habit, right? A habit is something that you do so often that it becomes part of the very essence of your being. But aside from sort of the the just very articulate way he stated that, I mean, think about that for a moment. A habit is something that we do so often that it becomes part of the very essence of our being. And Aristotle says that excellence can be a habit. Imagine if excellence became part of the very essence of our being. I mean, wow, this is how we have to live and function, right? And and excellence, again, is not always this glamorous thing. It's this consistent application of doing the right things in the right way over time so that when our performance moments happen, when our our big opportunities to shine come, it's not this, this scary moment of pressure that overcomes us, but rather this state that we've ingrained in ourselves that that we just get to merely demonstrate and apply and put forth the very habits that are that are the essence of our being. And so I want you to think about this process of how routines are connected to excellence. So if we think about it again as a process, routines lead to habits, right? And habits lead to consistency. And it's this consistency that really leads us to excellence. And so routines become sort of the initiating factor of creating habits of excellence, of creating consistency in how we live and how we think and how we function and how we communicate and how we build relationships. And it's this consistency that gives us the courage to show up and to bring our best selves to whatever domain that we're in, right? To be a consistent person, whether we're at home or at work or in sport or in competition. Now, I'm not saying there's not variations of how we bring ourselves to these different places and and the different energy levels that we have to show up, you know, that being a husband or a wife or a a father or a mother is going to look a little bit different than, you know, executing a play on a football field. Um, But that sense of consistency of character that we can embed within ourselves becomes a driving force of our courage, our confidence, our, our presence that we show up. And routines are sort of a basic fundamental level that can start laying and building the habits that lead to consistency that ultimately leads us to a life of excellence. And at the end of the day, how we do anything is how we do everything. And so we've got to be so diligent in how we live and how we think and how we function and communicate because everything we do is building a habit within ourselves. Everything we do matters because it's building the habits of who we are and how we function. 
And again, how you do anything is how you do everything. Listen, our brains and our bodies don't know the difference. If you're in the weight room or on the practice field or in a competition or in the classroom or hanging out with your significant other, right? If we start creating habits of cheating, right? If we start doing seven reps instead of 10, right? Or maybe nine reps instead of 10, or just cutting the edge of the corner of the cone, right? Or just, just borrowing somebody's notes or looking at somebody's test just once, right? These are little habits that we're starting to create of cheating. And that's going to start showing up over and over and over again, because our brain and our bodies don't know the difference of where we're at. It just knows the habits that we've created. And so everything we do matters because again, it's embedding within us the habits of how we function. And starting to ingrain some routines in how we live our lives and how we manage our days and how we deal with stress and failure and setbacks are going to be critical elements in building the habits of excellence that lead us to a life of excellence, to performance of excellence, to to a whole state of being that that is far above those that we're competing against. A great example of this is the New Zealand All Blacks. So the New Zealand All Blacks are the national rugby team. And so they've, they had their first international debut in 1903. And since then, they've had a 77%, 77% win percentage in the course of their, their history. They're the most winningest sport team in all sports across the entire world. And so it was really interesting. And so New Zealand's in a, it's a small country, but their national GDP actually rises and falls based on the win percentage of this, of this rugby team. That's how important culturally this team is to that country. And so they started realizing that they would win, 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 win. And then they'd get to the world cup and they couldn't translate that to a victory. They won the first World Cup back in 1987, and then they couldn't seem to close thereafter, and they couldn't really figure out why. So they actually brought in a sports psychologist to help just analyze their program, analyze their culture, analyze their systems, and how they functioned. And what the sports psychologist noticed was that the, the All Blacks do what's called the haka prior to every competition. The haka is a cultural dance, and, and different tribes throughout New Zealand have their own, uh, own hakas. And, and they're all about the, the tribe, the culture, their heritage. And so it's a very personal, very intense, very uh, connected to uh, their history and their future and, and themselves and how their individual beings relate to the past and the future. And so the Hakka is a very intimidating. I'll put a link to the Hakka in the episode notes. Check it out. It's very intense. It's very aggressive. And they do the, the whole team does this dance prior to each competition. But what what the sports psychologist noticed was that they would only do the haka at competitions. They didn't do the haka in practices. And so if we think about it, we spend way more time practicing, preparing, right, for whatever role we're in. Again, whether you're a doctor, a lawyer, a, a parent, a coach, an athlete, we spend way more time in preparation than we do in actual competition. And how are habits created? Habits are created through repetition over time. And routines, therefore, should not just be used in competition, but rather also in practice. And so they started doing the haka before each practice. And what that did was start to create the the similar mindset, a similar emotional state, a similar level of attention and focus to attention to detail and focus and concentration in practice. So that by the time they got to games, 
That haka was a routine for them. It was a habit. It was consistent. And whether it was the first game of the season or the World Cup game, they knew that they were mentally, physically, emotionally, and spiritually ready to play, ready to deliver their absolute best. Now, did that translate to performance? Well, the All Blacks actually won the last two World Cups. So in 2011 and 2015, they captured the World Cups. And if you look into the the team's just attention to detail and diligence over time and how they've really crafted a culture that is consistent, that is that is um, deep and connected to who they are, right? If we go back to our building block two and motivation, knowing their why, why do you do what they do? Their connection to, to New Zealand culture and the whole economy and community is powerful. And the haka becomes a critical role in connecting all of those dots and a really important pre-practice and pre-game routine that again gets them in the mental and emotional states that they need to perform their absolute best. So again, we just want to stress the importance of, of getting your routines, not just for game day or competition day, but in practice, in preparation and everything that we do. And so we're going to welcome Mike Lee here shortly to talk about how have routines become a critical part for him as a fighter, for him as a man, for him as a leader in his community, and really look at what are the, what are the different routines that he's built into his life and how have they driven a consistency over time. All right, ladies and gentlemen, and now I would like to welcome to the show Mr. Mike Lee. Good afternoon, Mike. How are you doing? I'm doing great. Thanks for having me. Absolutely. We appreciate it. Um, give a quick background on Mike. So Mike graduated from Notre Dame in 09 with a, with a finance degree from the Mendoza College of Business um, and, and was signed by top rank out of the amateurs after winning the Chicago Golden Gloves as a boxer. And so Mike is currently just won his last fight, which puts him at 19-0 and ranks him 12th in the world. Mike, congratulations. This is awesome. <laughs> Thank you. Yeah, it's it's been a crazy ride. I mean, sometimes... Uh, I look back and I think how how I got to this point, but um, you know, I basically it, it kind of started where I was started fighting at about 15, 16 years old, um, at least competitively, and just absolutely loved boxing. And um, but most importantly, wanted to go to Notre Dame more than anything. And when I found out they had a, a boxing program there too, that definitely was some more incentive for me. Um, but things just started taking off. I started becoming a better fighter, and um, when I had offers to turn pro and um, from from different promotional companies and agents, I, I just kind of took it. I knew that if I didn't go for this, I would I would always regret it. And um, I knew that whether or not I, I broke my hand in my first fight and never fought again, or I win a world title, at least like I said, I went for it. And here we are, almost uh, seven, six and a half years later. And yeah, like you said, it, it's been going well. I mean, I've, I've definitely had my ups and downs in, in this career, but um, I'm 19 and 0 right now. And uh, ranked top 15 in the world in all the belts. So this is a big year for me to to have some some big fights, start fighting the top 15 guys in the world. My my past two fights, I fought a guy who was 21 and three, and then my last victory was a guy who was 18 and one. So we've definitely stepped up the competition and um, stepped up every aspect of our, our training, both mentally and physically. So I'm excited. You know, at, at 29, this is kind of like uh, the prime and, and peak of my career for a fighter. So I've got a few years here to really go after the dream that I've been chasing after for a long time and um, and then figure out what to do uh, with the rest of my life, I guess. Wow, that's incredible. Take us back before we dive into what's next for you and what, and what are the goals that you're searching after. At 15, 
What just drew you to the sport of boxing? I was always an athlete growing up. It, it's it's funny. I actually started the first time I stepped in a boxing ring in a boxing gym. I was eight years old, and there's a funny story attached to it. I was playing hockey. Uh, I was playing goalie, and I was always a very laid back, calm person. But in sports, I was extremely aggressive. I love playing defense in football. I love playing the positions where I could hit kids, mm-hmm. <laughs> which, and I think maybe I got that from my dad, but. As a goalie, I had the most penalty minutes on the team, and I'll never forget that because that should not happen in hockey. And <laughs> I was just running around trying to check kids and just having fun. And so um, it was right after a game, we were going through a line, shaking hands, and I'll never forget a kid uh, spit in my face. And so I did what I saw you know, all my heroes do on TV. At eight years old, I, I dropped my gloves, and I punched the kid right in the nose, and I, and I broke his nose. And needless to say, I got kicked out of the tournament, and the league and everybody in the stands was appalled except for my dad. And about two days later, my dad and my cousin brought me to a boxing gym. And it was the first time I stepped in the ring and the first time I really played a sport that was one-on-one. And I think two things happened. One, I felt the adrenaline rush of being in the ring. And two, it was a sport that you had no other teammates nobody to lean on it was like the bell rings there's no timeouts there's no excuses it's just it's just you and your opponent and there's something about that aspect that I just absolutely fell in love with and um you know that adrenaline rush just brought me through all the way from the first time I sparred when I was eight years old to fighting in Madison Square Garden and Cowboy Stadium and on ESPN in front of a a packed crowd um you know at the garden so it's uh it's been a crazy ride that's incredible. I just I love hearing athletes talk about just the raw essence of what they love about their sport, right? And and that sense of just physical contact and no excuses. Talk to us more about the mentality um, and what it takes to be an elite boxer from the the mindset standpoint. Well, yeah, there's definitely been a mental shift in in my game, and I think a mental maturity in my game. Uh, when I when I first turned pro. It's funny when you're 21, 22, early 20s, you, you kind of think of yourself as immortal. And I started just winning fights and doing well. I think I ran off 10 victories in a row. And you have injuries here and there, but um, you really just underestimate how much professional sports can take a toll on your body. And so um, I thought this ride would never end. And then I really started to dive into injuries. I was out of the sport for about two years. I had back injuries, knee injuries, uh, broke my nose, broke my hand. Um, it was just, you know, a natural thing for being in a contact sport. Um, but that's when I really had to become mentally tough because, you know, this was my dream since a little kid. And, um, it's tough to be in a position or a career where you're not able to accomplish something because your body won't let you. Mm -hmm. And I've been in that scenario, even to this day when I'll have my back will flare up or you have certain injuries here or there. And nothing like it was in the past, but um, it's incredibly frustrating to know that your mind and your heart want something that you've worked so hard for and sacrificed for, yet your body just won't allow you to. And so for me, I, I had to get mentally strong and it wasn't about, you know, riding the highs and, and being there for the big moments. I was always naturally good at that. It was about being there and being present and understanding that the lows are they're never as low as you actually think they are. Mm-hmm. 
And I, it took me years and a few years to become a much more mature athlete in person to really recognize that, that the highs are never as high as you think and the lows are never as low. And the key is to just understand that and, and keep grinding. Flesh out that mental maturity for us a little bit. What specifically from your mental game have you recognized a shift in over the last couple of years? Uh, specifically visualization. And um, why I say that is because I started working with uh, a few uh, mental, uh, a few sports uh, psychologists, and they really helped me kind of wrap my head around. Because like I said, when I was younger, I really... I, I felt this feeling of immortality and why would I need to go see a sports psychologist? There's nothing wrong with me. And it really kind of, when I met my, my first one, Brian Kane, that I worked with, um, he really kind of turned my mind frame around and he worked with some of the top fighters in the world and George St. Pierre was one of his top clients. And so I said, all right, well, listen, GSP is using this guy. I might as well try him out. And he taught me little things um, in terms of visual, visualization before fights and it was incredible how much those little um, tactics materialized. For instance, before every single fight, um, I visualize the fight. I visualize my opponent. I visualize the ring. And that changes, you know, everything, every single stadium. I, I visualize, literally, if I know I'm going to fight on ESPN, I'll sit there and close my eyes and think of um, the ESPN cameras. And I'll think of what it's going to smell like, with ex- what it's going to look like, what it's going to taste like with extreme detail. And I found that doing this for a few minutes a day, very close to a fight, really helps me. I'll just sit down, close my eyes. And it's incredible that once I hop in that ring, I'm as calm as ever. I, I really am. Like <laughs> you, you watch my fights you see on TV or on YouTube or whatever. I have a big smile on my face. I'm, I'm excited. I'm, I'm happy. Um, and that's when I function the best. And I think that comes from knowing that, okay, you know, I've, I've been in this place before in my mind. Now it's just time to execute in my body. Absolutely. That, and that's powerful. And I think I just want our, our listeners really to really catch what Mike's saying right now. So as you know, out there listening, we've been on this journey, right, of building your mental performance foundation and how each different element has built on the other. And our last building block, Mike, was mental rehearsal, right, and talking about seeing and, and tasting and hearing and really just fully encapsulating the experience that you're about to go into to drive exactly what you said, the confidence, the concentration, the courage, the contentment, you know. And and now our final building block is routines. So talk to us about how and why you found routines to be so important for you as you have mentally matured, um, as your visualization game has stepped up. How have routines sort of brought all of that together to really prep you for when the bell rings? Well, routines are very important in my sport in particular. Um, I usually call them superstitions. And I, I guess in a way, I don't even realize that they're routines. I'm, I'm a very superstitious person. So everything from uh, little routines that really probably have no effect um, on the actual fight to very important things that we do in training and strength and conditioning. I mean, for instance, um, I need to put on my wraps with my left hand. I, everything I do with my left foot or my left hand first, and I've been doing this for years. I don't know, I don't know why. I don't understand it. But, you know, my trainers, they all know. Um, I get my hands wrapped to the left. I put my shoe, my left sock on first, my left shoe on. Fight night, my left glove goes on. Every single day in training, left glove goes on first, and it feels wrong. It just feels different if I don't do that. So on a very, you know, micro level, um, I do things like that all the time. 
on a, on a macro level, we do a lot of things in terms of routines, whether it's, um, you know, building more, focusing more on heavy weight and strength later out um, in a training camp and then closer to a fight, focusing more on um, weight management and technique and strategy. Um, there's kind of an ebb and flow of a training camp. And um, that's really where having a great team, which I have, I have to give credit, I have a phenomenal team and very supportive team around me um, of, you know, top world-class coaches that really helped me with that. But there's a million different routines that I, that I kind of get into either on a daily basis or, uh, in a long-term basis throughout a training camp. And it, it helps me because it just adds this level of like familiarity for me, you know, even though I've been doing this for years, there's times when, um, you know, camp goes haywire when I get an injury or I'm not performing the way I want to, or things happen all the time, not only in life, but especially in sports where things can happen at the, uh, in an instant, um, whether I'm sparring and all of a sudden my left elbow bothers me and now we have to readjust. And for a week, we have to really focus on my right hand. So having simple, small routines kind of help me and give me that sense that, okay, everything's going to be okay. I love that. And and you really echoed what we discussed earlier about how routines give us a sense of consistency, right? They give us a sense of control. The other thing I think that it allows you to do, and so from just hearing you, you know, put, I put my left gear on first and, and always on the left side and move over. It gives your mind somewhere to go, right? In a calming effect. And so one thing I always, you know, want to caution my clients with, whether they're athletes or business people, is that whether you call them superstitions or routines, you want those routines to be things that are always going to be in your control, right? Um, we had we had an example of one athlete who had to eat purple or pink Starburst before every match. And all of a sudden, he had an international match and they didn't have Starbursts in that country. And, and, and so he couldn't gain them and it threw his whole game off. And so from the mental standpoint, right, what I love about your, your essence of putting the stuff on the left side first is that's a routine that that's, that's able to be consistent, regardless of where you are, who you're competing against, where you're competing, what arena you're in. And again, it's all stuff that you are always going to have on you. So, so for those of you listening that are taking this element of routines in, you know, here, Mike, and, but here at the deeper level, Level. Again, it's things that he always has with him that is always in his control and isn't dependent on anything external from him. So thanks for sharing that. I also love, Mike, how you talked about sort of macro type routines and then more micro type routines. If you could share a couple of, of maybe specific within fight routines uh, during during performance routines, if you will, that you have that, that you are sort of go to for you. Sure. Well, I know during the fight, one of the main things that we do is, you know, we get down to the corner and the first thing they take out my mouthpiece and we, we take a deep breath and it's really important to slow the heart rate down. But I think mentally, whether I'm sparring or in a fight and we just had a crazy round, maybe I got rocked, you know, you get back to the corner and the first thing they do, like I said, they take out your mouthpiece and you take that deep breath in through your nose and kind of hold it and let it out. And it's it's almost like it triggers your mind into knowing, okay, you've been here before. Um, let's slow the heart rate down. Let's slow the breath down. And let's just get back to what we're doing. Um, you know, it's really important to kind of switch off that fight or flight. That's a natural tendency. I mean, you're, you're fighting another... <laughs> Uh, elite fighter in front of thousands of people on TV. It's like it's natural for this adrenaline rush to kick in. But 
what's funny is what makes the best fighters in the world who they are. For instance, Floyd Mayweather, arguably one of the best of our generation, is how relaxed they are. Mm-hmm. And so it's little routines like that breath routine I'll do um, or even a little superstitious thing when I come in the ring um, of going inside and outside the ropes really quick. Um, little little things that I'll do throughout the fight like that will kind of calm me down. And I think that the, the calmer the fighter, the better the fighter. That's powerful. Um, and again, for our listeners, hear, hear Mike saying, so that fight or flight response, we talked about that in, in building block six with emotional management and the power of the breath. And so now again, routines are taking all of these things that we've discussed and incorporating them into simple mechanisms to be inserted before, during, and after performances to drive that sense of control, drive that sense of readiness and, and confidence to step out and perform your absolute best. Mike, talk to us a little bit about the importance of training like you compete. Well, yeah, that's, that's really important, and that's really what sparring, and I guess for the listeners that don't quite know what sparring is, sparring is basically fighting and training camp with headgear on um, and heavier gloves so you protect yourself from you know, heavy damage and cuts and whatnot, but uh, many times in sparring, it's it's all out. You know, you're fighting other top fighters, and egos come into play. And while you're working on things, um, it's natural. It's it's a fight at the end of the day. So sparring is um, as close to the actual fight as you can get, and it's very important to. You know, it's tough. Some days you you definitely want to take days off, and I'm not going to lie. There's days when I get in there and I just don't have it. But it's very important to try as consistently as possible to perform at the highest level that you can and basically go as close to 100% as you can because what you don't want to do is kind of walk through and just go through the motions in practice and training the whole time without having that mental and physical um, capacity to go all out because I promise you there's been times in camp when I haven't really trained as hard necessarily or I've, I've push back a little bit when I should have. And sure enough, in the fight, you're not going to be able to do that. And your body won't react and your mind won't react. But like I said before, if you've been in the situation before, mentally or physically, it's so much easier to get through it. And why I say that is if you're in sparring and you feel like I can't even go another round, but you somehow mentally find it in yourself to push through that round, when that happens to you in the fight, it's not all of a sudden a moment of panic because in your mind and in your body, you've been there before. You've had that moment or those, that, those times in training camp when um, you felt like you couldn't go on and you still did or a moment when your left eye got hit and you can barely see out of it and you only can fight with one eye. All these scenarios we've played out in training camp so that when it comes to fight night, it's just another day in the gym kind of a thing. That's incredible. Um, We had a really great dialogue, I think, and conversation earlier about the importance of building habits, right? And and how habits lead to consistency. And really, it's this consistency that leads to excellence. And and the quote from Aristotle, right? We are what we repeatedly do. Excellence, therefore, is not an act. It's a habit. And and all of these things that you're talking about is, is all about building habits, right? In training, in preparation, so that when your back's against the ropes, literally, the as humans, we resort to whatever habits we've created in our lives, mentally, emotionally, physically, spiritually, etc. And so those habits that you're creating in preparation of, of how to fight through adversity, of how to fight through pain, of how to adapt and adjust throughout the course of, of a fight, 
Now that's what comes out on fight night when you prepare like that. When did you first start becoming aware of the importance of habits and how those impact and affect performance? Um, you know, honestly, I became aware. I think when I when I kept winning, it it wasn't like I sat back and looked looked back at it and said, "Okay, these habits are are really important. I need to keep doing it." Like I said before, I it was more of a superstition thing. Um, and I didn't even realize that I was developing habits really until I got older. But I think it was when I was winning um, a lot of fights and in a very in knockouts and impressive fashion, I kind of said to myself, whatever I'm doing is working. And that's not to say I wouldn't change up things here or there, but the general layout of camp, the general idea of um, how we're going to train, what we're going to do. And then the little superstition things like putting my left glove on every single time. I just said to myself, you know what? I've been winning. I'm, I'm busting my butt here. I'm working really hard and I'm, and I'm doing X, Y, and Z and it's producing results. So I'm just going to keep doing X, Y, and Z. And so that was kind of it. It kind of got developed out of superstition early on. Yeah. And what I love about that though, too, Michael, is you recognize that and then all of a sudden, you got hurt and it was sort of back and forth, but you stuck to those. You stuck to those routines. You stuck with and around the people that that were there that are coaching you and training you. And I, I know there's been some training adjustments throughout the course of the year as as with any athlete. Um, but in general, just sticking to the, the mentality and the purpose and drive behind why you're doing what you're doing as well, I think is very commendable and awesome. So you know, with, with all of that, what's next for you? What, what's, what's the next on the stage, your next ambition and, and what are you working toward? Yeah. I mean, ultimately I'm working towards winning a world title. That's been my dream. And I, I feel in my heart and my mind and my body that I can accomplish it, that I will accomplish it. And I've never been closer than I am right now. So, um, you know, I recognize that I need to become a better fighter. Every single fight, I want to feel like I learned something from that fight. Like the last fight, for instance, I, I had a tough fight, but I learned a lot from it. I learned what I need to do different in training camp. I learned what I need to do different in the fight. And so um, my idea is to have uh, two, probably three more fights this year, um, finish the year out 22-0, and 0, and by the end of the year, be in the top five in the world. And at that point, it's when it really gets fun. That's when the big offers come to fight on Showtime, HBO, um, to fight top guys all over the world. And that's when I get to sit back and say, okay, let's really see what I'm made of. Um, and so for me, it's just continuing building, uh, you know, my endurance, building my, my physical capacity, my mental capacity with my team and, uh, making the, the smart, right choices in this career because, um, it's a very short one. Yeah, that's awesome. And I know that I know you've got the whole Notre Dame family behind you. And, and I know that after this awesome interview, all the, our listeners out there are going to be uh, with Team Mike Lee. Um, you're an amazing man, a, a man of deep character. And I think that, you know, it, it takes talent to get you somewhere like the old cliche, but character to keep you there. And, and at 29, you know, I know you're just broaching into sort of the, the depth and heart of your career. But, you know, we believe in you and we support you and are excited to see where that continues to lead you. Yeah, thank you, Amber. That means a lot. Yeah, you know, hopefully I can um, keep getting engaged with the, the Notre Dame community, uh, possibly even put on a, a big fight there on, on campus. I think that'd be amazing. 
That would be excellent. And you let us know how we can help you out here. But on that last go, Mike, what's your, what is your mindset on routines? Again, at the end of every interview with our featured guests, we, we ask them, what is your mindset on the building block of the day, if you will? Um, because it's about building championship mindsets. And we really want our listeners to, to be building the right ways to think about all of these different elements of the mental game. And so from your wisdom and insights and experience and expertise as both, both a fighter and a man and a leader in your community and, and circles that you run in, what's your mindset on routines? I think they're absolutely uh, a necessity. I, I think that routines are a necessity, good routines. Um, you know, like the old saying, you need to control the controllables. And I think that's, that's very important uh, in life. And I've learned, I've gone through a lot of things in, in this sport. And I think that I've learned so much in this sport through the ups and downs that it's translated into a lot of areas in my life. And I'm grateful for that. And one of the main things I've learned is that you need to keep good routines and, you know, good people around you because it's those routines that keep you consistent and, um, you know, keep things in going in the right direction, even when everything feels like it's, it's falling down. Powerful. We'll do a mic drop there. Mike, thank you. <laughs> thank you so much for your time. It was an absolute pleasure. Thank you. Thank Talk you. To Appreciate you soon. it. Wow. Talk about wrapping up season one, building block eight of routines with a heavy hitter, Mike Lee. That was impressive. That guy's mental game is on point and very, very mature. Um, I just love his calmness, his confidence, the, the thoughtfulness that has gone behind how he prepares, how he competes, and just how he lives on a daily basis. Um, for those of you out there that are looking for a boxer to follow, uh, Mike Lee, I highly recommend. Just an amazing man, um, an athlete and competitor, fiercely competitive, and yet just this genuine spirit to do good in the world, and, and that's exciting. So, Wow. 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 Talk about some really, really great insight from a really great athlete um, who I'm excited to really, you know, stay following his career and seeing how he takes that next step. So to, for our mental performance, our championship mindset training for building block eight routines, I want you to incorporate all that we've learned from building block one all the way through building block eight and start building some routines into your life. So whether you're in sport or business or in your home life, start creating routines around everything that you do. And a simple way to think about, well, where would I put routines in my life, Amber? I want you to think about pre-performance, during performance, and then a post-performance routine. And again, performance, use that in that term in general, wherever you are in life right now. But let's let's just use a, a hockey game, for example. So if you're a hockey player, right, what's your pregame routine? You've got your, your physical routine and warm-up. What's going to be your mental routine? Um, some of my athletes, right, their, their pregame mental routine is to get out on the ice. One of my goalies to stand in net and to just mentally rehearse the game. So about two and a half hours prior to the game, he steps out on ice and just sees things unfold. He's got his stick in his hand and he's just seeing it, right? And doing his mental rehearsal and getting himself into his optimal zone and, and using his power phrases, right? his power statements to, to manage his confidence and get his, his eyes up, his heart up, his, his chest up and ready to go out and play. Um, a during performance routine example, let's stay with the hockey goalie, right? When, when he gets scored on, he's got a routine, right? Slap, slap each side of the um, net, 
each post, go out, do a figure eight. And when he comes back and finishes that figure eight and he turns around, he exhales and releases that goal and locks back in. So release and refocus, right? So that's his routine during, during the game. And then have a post-performance routine, right? So similarly, uh, you're, you do a cool down physically, make sure that mentally you do, you cool down as well. A great mental routine to incorporate to post-performance is our well better learned. What are three things that went really well during that game and and how and why did that go well? What are two things that you need to do better the next game and how are you going to do that better? And then what's one thing you learned about yourself or your game through the course of that last performance? You write that in your mental performance notebook, put it in your bag and then release. Whether that was a great game or a terrible game, we got to take what we can from it. Let it go refocus and come back the next day and continue grinding and preparing and building the habits of excellence that are going to lead you to success. Thank you so much for being with us through these last building blocks, the eight building blocks of building your mental performance foundation. We're going to have one more episode to sort of wrap it all up and bring it together and 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 close out season one. But if you could head over to iTunes and rate and review us, we would really, really appreciate it. That's a huge factor in allowing us to continue to, you know, deliver content, um, quality content at a great rate, <laughs> right? For free for right now. And uh, if you could do that for us, we'd really, really appreciate it. And then if you want to connect with us further, you can go to our website at www.latnerperformancegroup.com. Uh, on Twitter, we're our Twitter handle is at Champ Mindsets. That's Mindsets with an S. And then you can email me directly if you have any questions or interested in, in me coming to speak to your team, your organization. And my email address is amber at latnerperformancegroup.com. Thank you so much for your time. And this has been your host, Dr. Amber Latner. And from the locker room to the boardroom, I challenge you to continue building your championship mindset.